Powder Hounds, and welcome to the Powder Hounds Podcast, the Ski Trivia Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Shaw. You can follow me on Twitter at PowderHoundSkis. You can also email me at PowderHoundSkiTrivia at gmail.com for comments, questions, or corrections. While Halloween is still a couple weeks away, Snow Report and Ski Area websites are switching over from summer to winter operations. So in that spirit, and with the endless summer in the rearview mirror, all eyes are on the thermostat, waiting in quiet anticipation for the mercury to drop. But before those first flakes fall, remember to, one, tune your equipment. Even better, it's tent season, ski swaps, and expos galore. Go ahead, upgrade. Two, find your gear. Well, you probably know where your gear is, but make sure it fits. Good example, I inadvertently bought slim-fitting snow pants, a crazy 80% off sale price for a pair that fit damn near perfectly. But come October, I get a tad nervous when first pulling up the zipper. Three, mount those ski racks, find that ice scraper, shovel, and jumper cables. You never know when or where you'll need them. And my favorite final preseason to do, launch the annual ask. No, I still don't mean a fundraising pledge. The annual ask would be asking all ski or ride friends, A, if they're epic, icon, or other, and B, if your passes don't align, pick a place to meet up, even if you both have to buy a day pass. If you buy early enough, it won't cost too much. Better yet, meet up at a ski area you've never been to. Pick a ski area in a state you've never skied. Hit up two ski areas in the same day, day skiing and night skiing. As I said before, checking out new to you ski areas will surely exceed your expectations, even on the ice coast. It also never hurts to learn buddy pass details. Our music inspiration is Audio Slaves, Show Me How to Live, as this information will hopefully help you live this winter and assemble kick-ass ski trips. Ready to begin? If so, I invite you to sit back, kick your feet up, relax, and enjoy the experience of everything skiing and riding. Powderhounds. Powderhounds, this is it, the third annual ski season preview episode. I hope what follows will help you maximize the 2022-2023 winter season. Before we click in, two disclaimers. Disclaimer number one, like previous season previews, I'm a proud member of the Ski the East, so this winter season preview only covers the Northeast. That would be the states of Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New York, Rhode Island, and Vermont. Disclaimer number two, despite best efforts, I'm still going to miss plenty of stuff. As you may recall, according to the National Ski Areas Association, 
there were 473 lift serve ski areas that operated last winter season, and that was plus 11 from the previous winter. Of that 473, guess how many operate in the seven Northeast states? Yes, that's an early trivia question. Roll call from least to most. Rhode Island with one, Connecticut with five, Massachusetts with 12, Maine with 21, New Hampshire and Vermont tied with 26, and the leader in the East, New York with 52 lift serve ski areas for a grand total of 143 lift serve ski areas. So yeah, I'm gonna miss plenty. Sources for today's episode, tons of them. Ski Vermont, Ski Maine, Ski New Hampshire, Ski Areas of New York, various sources from Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island, local freshies, the Storm Ski Journal, New England Ski Journal, Ski, New England Ski Industry, Vermont Digger, Colorado Sun, Vermont Ski and Ride, Lift Blog, and Snow Country. Whew, ready to begin? We begin with weather. Those farmers and their almanacs. Winter officially begins on Wednesday, December 21st, 2022, the winter solstice and shortest day of the year. So let's begin with the winter weather predictions for ski season. Both the Old Farmer's Almanac and the Farmer's Almanac have been predicting weather for over 200 years. While they use different methods of weather prediction, and have divided the climate regions of the country in different ways, both have loyal followings, and most relevant for our sake, have a history of promoting their work with humor and witty quips. Think descriptions that rhyme, like flurries early, pristine and pearly, or new snows and blue toes, fine and dandy for Valentine candy, snow spitten, if you're not mitten smitten, you'll be frostbitten. Or corny dad jokes like, where does a snowman keep his money? In a snowbank, of course. First up, <laughs> the Farmer's Almanac, which began circa 1818. Now, it began with a Northeast Pacific infographic titled, quote, significant shivers, slushy, icy, snowy, end quote. My take on that, perhaps the least helpful description one could write. Nevertheless, a cold December and a very cold January might make those in the Northeast shake and shiver. But February will bring milder temperatures that should make winter seem more bearable. The first bite of winter should come earlier than last year's. December 2022 looks stormy and cold nationwide, with an active storm pattern developing and hanging around for most of the season over the eastern half of the country. This could mean a white Christmas for many parts of the country. Winter 2022-2023 should be dominated by an active storm track in the eastern half of the country, running from the western Gulf of Mexico to the northeast, across the Virginias, and across interior New York State and New England. Their extended forecast shows significant weather disturbances nationwide. A few of these dates include the first week of January in the Rockies and across the Plains. During this time, we'll see good potential for heavy snow that may reach as far south as Texas and Oklahoma, followed by a sweep of bitterly cold air. 
January 16th to 23rd will raise another red flag for bouts of heavy rain and snow across the eastern two-thirds of the country. Followed what might be one of the coldest outbreaks of Arctic air we've ever seen. How cold? Try 40 degrees below zero. Moving on to the Old Farmer's Almanac, circa 1792, their prediction is entitled, A Tale of Two Winters. Quote, we believe the most of the U.S. will be colder than normal this winter. For most of the western half of the United States, we are predicting a wet and mild winter, one with lots of rain and temperatures that trend upward by as much as several degrees above normal. Specifically, winter temperatures will be milder than most normal across eastern Maine, from the Rockies to the west coast, and across Alaska and Hawaii. This is in, quote, stark contrast to what's coming for the rest of the country, i.e. the northeast, emphasis mine. Here we go. Winter for much of the Midwest and along the East Coast is best described as shivery and snowy. The eastern half of the U.S. should brace for potentially record-breaking cold to define the season. Specifically, winter temperatures will be colder than normal across much of the country between the East Coast and Rockies. Snowfall will be greater than normal from central New England through northern North Carolina. Freezing temperatures will also bring above-average snow totals to most areas in the eastern U.S. that typically experience snowfall. Bottom line, both almanacs predict good weather conditions for northeast skiing this winter season. Hooray! Moving on to entertainment and gear. We'll start with gear. As I mentioned in the intro, it's Ski Expo tent sale ski swap season. Now there's bound to be dozens of these events happening near you and certainly throughout the region. But two of the more popular events that are coming up next month are in Massachusetts. First, Country Ski and Sport having a four day expo in Hanover, November 10th through 13th. While there is free parking, there is an admission fee. Second, Snowbound Expo happening in Boston. This is a three-day expo happening November 18th to 20th. You can book free tickets online with code NEWENGLAND, all caps. Nationally, Blister Gear Review just came out for $15 for the online access. Also, Ski's Gear Review is also out. Again, you don't have to look too far to find information on expos, ski swaps, or tent sales. Moving on to some media mentions. In terms of annual ski films, listen to last month's episode for detailed descriptions. But here's the lightning version of some of the offerings probably playing at a ski area or theater near you. TGR, Magic Hour, Matchstick Productions, Anywhere But Here, Level 1, In Your Dreams, also Level 1, Something in the Water, Red Bull, Fleeting Time, Nexus, Promised Land, Stowe Stashin, and Warren Miller Entertainment's Daymaker. Staying with media, some sad news in print world. As you may have seen, quote, the November 2022 issue of Skis is our last print edition. While letting go comes with sadness, we're pouring our resources and the knowledge gained since Ski was founded 86 years ago into creating the best outside plus experience around the sport we love. 
Subscribers who received print ski magazines will also get a bonus print subscription to Outside Magazine for a limited time. Sadly, the U.S. ski magazine world, actual handheld printed magazines, has been reduced to Free Skier, Mountain Gazette, and the Ski Journal, and of course those Chamber of Commerce produced ad mags. Sigh. We wrap up this segment with races. The Killington Cup tickets went on sale October 6th. The 6th FIS Ski World Cup at Killington. It's happening November 25th to 27th and will once again bring the women's giant slalom and slalom races to Vermont. The event is expected to attract U.S. ski team superstars, including five-time Killington Cup slalom victor and last season's overall World Cup winner, Michaela Schifrin, former University of Vermont skier Paula Moltzan, and Burke Mountain graduate and Dartmouth student Nina O'Brien, among others. Tickets range from $5 for general admission to $100 premier grandstand. Moving on to our next segment, your literal ticket to ride, season passes and lift tickets. We'll begin with season passes. Now, I debated whether to even review season pass information. Most listeners, avid skiers and riders, probably purchased an early bird priced season pass or discounted lift ticket product before October. Still, compiling season pass information is helpful for my own education, plus, Season passes are still on sale, even if it's not the lowest advertised price. Many season passes eventually sell out or stop being sold, hence those pricey day lift ticket prices for the undecided crowd. In most cases, I'll only mention the adult prices as they are the highest and most common comparison across ski areas. So while the best pricing most certainly passed, reviewing past partners, current pricing, pass holder benefits, and promotional past products may still be helpful as you map out your winter season plans. Fingers crossed. We kick things off with the Epic Pass. 15 years old, debuted in 2008. Type of pass, it's a mega pass, i.e. a season pass, but they also sell day passes. The bottom line, the better priced mega pass. Northeast Partners, eight. Hunter Mountain in New York. Mount Snow, Okemo, Stowe in Vermont, Adatash, Crotched, Mount Sunapee, and Wildcat in New Hampshire. Note, Vail includes Pennsylvania in their northeast region with the seven other ski areas. You probably all saw the announcement on August 23rd. Quote, please be aware that Vail Resorts will be limiting lift tickets throughout the 2022-2023 season to prioritize your on-mountain experience. You are strongly encouraged to purchase your lift access in advance, whether it's a lift ticket, epic day pass, or season pass. End quote. Gasp. What? Holy smokes, Batman. Yes. Quote, lift tickets will be limited every day across every resort during the 2022-2023 season. If tickets are sold out online, guests will not be able to purchase them at the ticket window. Epic pass holders, including those with epic day passes, will not be limited, end quote. And lift ticket availability is now visible on resort websites. Now I'd like to dig a little deeper into the Epic Day Pass as the price is proven too good to be true and I had to buy one. New for the 2022-2023 winter season, build a pass that fits your needs. First, choose from one to seven days and visit throughout the season. Two. 
choose access to a group of 22, 32, or all 38 owned and operated North American and European resorts. Three, Epic Day Passes include Epic Mountain Rewards, 20% off food, lodging, rentals, and more. So as an example, if I want to share in the joy that is, uh, no, while riding the bubble at Okimo with my friend Eric on a non-holiday period, buying an Epic Day Pass, a one-day Epic Day Pass, now costs $79. Should I wait, the price will surely creep up and be well over $100 come winter. I should also note, and not surprisingly, the more day passes you buy, the lower the price per day becomes. Here's how that works. Say my friend Kristen is able to ski, i.e. her husband Pete has the kiddos for the day, and she wants some company on the North Face at Mount Snow. Now I need a two-day Epic Day Pass. The cost for a two-day Epic Day Pass is $147, which boils down to $74 per day, a little less than the single Epic Day Pass. But wait, Kyle and Leah just won the Stone Hut lottery again. So now I need a three-day Epic Day Pass. That total, $216, but boils down to $72 per day, and so on and so on. Please pin this price example for a later comparison. I'm also 99.9% sure the Epic Day Pass rate is also less than a buddy pass or ski with a friend, usually 10 to 15% off the day ticket price, which obviously can't be redeemed until in-season when prices are highest. Current pricing. The Epic Pass is $879 for adults, provides unlimited, unrestricted access to 37 North American resorts. In addition to the eight Northeast partner ski areas, it also includes seven days at Telluride, as well as consecutive days at a number of resorts in Austria, the Canadian Rockies, Japan, and other European ski areas. The Epic Local Pass, $655, provides unlimited access to most resorts, but also comes with holiday-restricted access to resorts like Stowe. It also includes 10 days total to use at Vail, Beaver Creek, and Whistler Blackcomb. And finally, the Northeast Value Pass, $535 for adults, comes with holiday blackouts at Hunter Mountain, Okemo, and Mount Snow. It includes only 10 total days at Stowe, excluding holiday periods. Moving on to the Icon Pass at five years old. That's right, it only debuted in 2018. Type of pass, a mega pass, and a season pass at 14 partner resorts. It also sells a day or session pass. The bottom line, the better partner network, mega pass. Of course, my opinion. Northeast partners, seven. Note Killington and Pico, while I think of them separately, the Icon Pass and pretty much the rest of Ski Media does not. So the partners in New York, Wyndham Mountain, in Vermont, Killington Pico, Stratton, Sugarbush, in New Hampshire, Loon, in Maine, Sugarloaf, and Sunday River. Note the Icon Pass includes Snowshoe Mountain in West Virginia in their east region. Now there's 54 destinations for the 2022-2023 winter season. Full Icon Pass holders will receive at least seven days at each ski area with no blackouts. The Icon Base Pass and Icon Base Pass Plus will include five days at each ski area with holiday blackouts at some partner resorts. Now a new ad as of October 4th, 2022, Sun Peaks in British Columbia. 
the second largest ski area in Canada and Icon's fifth partner in British Columbia. Need a refresher? Vertical drop, 2,894 feet. Skiable acres, 4,270. Average annual snowfall, 237 inches. Across the pond, Grand Valera Resort in Andorra, the sixth smallest country in Europe apparently, also joined the Icon Pass. <laughs> Grand Valera Resort consists of three ski areas, the only three ski areas in Andorra, and that they're all the largest in the Pyrenees with a combined six base areas. As shared on the last podcast episode, other recent additions for Icon are Lote Array in Japan, Panorama, also in British Columbia, and Sun Valley in Idaho and Snow Basin in Utah returned after three years on Epic. Current pricing. The Icon Pass, $1,179 for adults, offers unlimited access to Sugarbush and Stratton. But it also includes up to seven days at other Northeast locations, including Killington Pico, Loon, Sunday River, Sugarloaf, and Wyndham. Outside the Northeast, Icon offers the same seven days at destinations like Taos, Sun Valley, Alta, Deer Valley, and Zermatt, Switzerland. The Icon Base Pass, $869, has blackout dates, including at Stratton and at Sugarbush, and provides only five extra days instead of seven at each of the pass's other participating locations. Icon also sells a Session Pass, similar to the Epic Day Pass, though wildly higher in price. Remember when I told you to pin that Epic Day Pass pricing example? As a reminder, a two-day Epic Day Pass costs $147, which boils down to $74 per ticket. On the other hand, Icon Session Passes, which start with a minimum two days, cost $269, which boils down to $134.50 for a single day of skiing that was pre-purchased. Come on, man! Next up, the White Mountain Superpass. It's three years old, debuted in 2020. The type of pass, it's a season pass. And the bottom line, it's a season pass to four of the largest ski areas in New Hampshire. Those four partners, Bretton Woods, Cannon, Cranmore, and Waterville Valley. Again, this is unlimited skiing at those four partner resorts. Current pricing, $1,325 for adults. Pass holder perks, one free lift ticket to your home mountain. $15 off buddy tickets at each resort and summer access. As an example, at Cranmore, you get free scenic chairlift rides. Moving along the Massachusetts Pike to the Summit Pass, sometimes called the Massachusetts Summit Pass or the Berkshire Summit Pass. Years old, not quite sure, was not clear in my research, but the type of pass is a season pass, and the bottom line, it's a season pass to three of Massachusetts ski areas in the Berkshires. The roster, Berkshire East, Catamount, and Bosquet. Current pricing, the unlimited Summit Pass is $639 for adults with no blackout dates. There's also the option of an Indy Pass add-on for all ski areas. A Locals Pass, good every day except Saturday, and a nighttime season pass is also available at Berkshire East and Catamount. 
taking a turn on the New York Thruway for the New York Ski 3 Pass. Years old, also unknown. Couldn't find out in my internet research. Type of pass, we're still at season passes, friends. Bottom line, it's unlimited access to three state-owned New York ski areas. Wondering who they are? Those ski areas would be Bel Air, Gore, and Whiteface. Current pricing, $1,019. Now, there are varying perks included in the New York Ski 3 Pass, built-in bonus tickets, scenic sky rides, food discounts, half-price tickets to share, discounts on summer activities like mountain biking, disc golf, beach boat rentals, and much more. Shifting back to a regional pass, the Freedom Pass. Years old, also unknown in my internet research, but the type of pass, it's a season pass with reciprocal benefits. Bottom line, it's a season pass for individual ski areas in the network that includes three free lift tickets at all partner resorts, no blackout dates, no restrictions. Partner lineup, in Rhode Island, Yagu Valley, in New Hampshire, Black Mountain, McIntyre, and Wellback. In New York, Greek Peak, and in Maine, Lost Valley. Some other partners in the network, Bogus Basin, Idaho, Cherry Peak, Utah, Eagle Point, Utah, Eagle Crest, Alaska, Little Switzerland, Wisconsin, Red River, New Mexico, Masella, Spain, and many more. Next up, the New England Pass. Years old? Not, still not sure. It's hard to pin down the exact age of some of these passes, though in 2020, it was advertised as an annual flash sale. Pass type, we're still in the season pass, though there are some reciprocal days. The bottom line, it's a pricey season pass for three ski areas, though those three are some of the best in the region. The lineup, New Hampshire, Loon, and Maine, Sugarloaf, and Sunday River. Current pricing, the gold New England pass is $1,609 for adults. That was a $200 price increase on October 11th. Again, unlimited access to Sugarloaf, Sunday River, and Loon, plus three days each at most Boyne-owned properties, including Big Sky, Brighton, Snoqualmie, Cypress, Boyne Mountain, Boyne Highlands, Pleasant Mountain, formerly Shawnee Peak in Maine. There are no blackout dates for reciprocal tickets. The New England Pass also includes 50% off tickets at Mountain Collective Resorts and three days out west. There's actually a more expensive Platinum Pass that gets you everything I just listed, plus an Icon Base Pass. Moving on to Frequency Passes. The Indy Pass. It's kicking off its fourth year, having debuted in 2019. Again, we are in frequency pass territory. Bottom line, 200 plus days of skiing if you dare. You get two days at all partner resorts and discounts at 14 more ski areas. It also can be added to any season pass at partner ski resorts. About those resorts, Indy has over 101 downhill ski areas in 27 states not including their partners in Canada or Japan. In the Northeast, the lineup includes in Connecticut, Mohawk, in Massachusetts, Berkshire East, in New Hampshire, Black Mountain, Cannon, Pat's Peak, and Waterville Valley. In Maine, Big Rock, Black Mountain of Maine, and Saddleback. In New York, Catamount, 
Greek Peak, Snow Ridge, Swain, Titus, and West. In Vermont, Bolton Valley, Jay Peak, Magic, and Saskadena 6. Also in the Northeast, Discounted Partners or Allied Resorts. In Massachusetts, Bosquet. In New Hampshire, Dartmouth Skiway, King Pine, McIntyre, and Wellback. In New York, Dry Hill. In Vermont, Burke and Middlebury Snowball. About those discounts, 50% off posted midweek and non-peak weekend prices, or 25% off posted holidays and peak weekends between December 24th and March 12th. Current pricing. The Indy Pass costs $329 for adults. There are some blackout dates. For example, the Indy Pass can be used only Sunday through Friday at Cannon Mountain through March 11th. The Indy Plus Pass is $429 with no blackout dates to worry about. And again, season pass holders for partner resorts can add on an Indy Pass for just $199 for adults. As an example, my buddy Craig could complement his Magic Mountain in Vermont season pass with an Indy add-on pass for just $199, and he could see me all winter long. Now, Craig definitely does not want to see me that much, so the add-on pass may not be right for him. And again, recent Indy additions, Mountain High in California, Dodge Ridge, California, Bluebird Backcountry, Colorado, Chestnut Mountain, Illinois, Snow River, Michigan, and they just announced 14 other partners, four downhill, four cross country, and four discounted partners. Check out the website to learn more. Moving on to Mountain Collective, years old, 11. It debuted in 2012. Type of pass, frequency pass. The bottom line, two days at each of the 25 partner resorts. It's best for skiers living quote unquote out west and enjoy traveling or bouncing around different ski areas. The resort lineup in the east, kind of thin, just Sugarloaf in Maine. <laughs> Unfortunately, Sugarbush did not renew for the 2022-2023 winter season, but Mountain Collective can also be used at premier destinations like Chamonix, Aspen, Snowmass, Grand Targhee, Jackson Hole, Snowbird, and many more bucket list type ski areas. There are also no blackout dates for powder chasers. Pricing, $599. Again, recent ads, Sugar Bowl in California, ski areas in Alberta and Quebec, though Palisades Tahoe, Mammoth, both in California, and Sugarbush in Vermont did not renew this winter season. Moving on for, quote-unquote, a new in 2022, the main pack, years old. It was just born. It's an infant. Not even one years old. Debuted a few, maybe weeks ago. Type of pass, a frequency pass. The bottom line, four days, three main resorts. The all-new main pack is the ultimate ticket pack for any main skier with four flexible days at Sugarloaf, Sunday River, and Pleasant Mountain. Again, that's formerly Shawnee Peak. Use all four days at one resort or spread the love and visit all three. Choose unlimited with no blackout dates or limited for the best value. Current pricing, limited $299, the unlimited $369. So you're looking at $92 or so per ticket, not bad. And to wrap up this segment, we end with the Ski Cooper Pass. Years old, unknown based on my internet research, the pass type it is a season pass for Ski Cooper 
in Colorado, but also has a remarkable reciprocal pass program. The bottom line, it's a season pass for Ski Cooper with three reciprocal days at 48 partner resorts. Now this could appeal to certain Northeast skiers, especially if your winter vacation or ski trip plans, including heading out west and including a stop at Ski Cooper. Ski Cooper top line stats first, they're located in Leadville, the site of many of the most challenging endurance races in the country. <laughs> According to their website, quote, Ski Cooper is an alpine ski resort in Colorado, one of the oldest in the state. Opened as Cooper Hill Ski Area 80 years ago in 1942, the ski area served as the training site for the 10th Mountain Division, based at nearby Camp Hale during World War II. Top line stats, vertical drop 1,200 feet, skiable acres 480, average annual snowfall 260. Here's the kicker, base elevation 10,500 feet, so drink plenty of water if you're heading to Ski Cooper. So the resort partners in the Northeast on the Ski Cooper Pass, in Rhode Island, Yagoo Valley, in New Hampshire, Black Mountain, Dartmouth Skiway, McIntyre, and Wellback in New York, Greek Peak, and Platykill in Maine, Lost Valley. Current pricing, $4.29. That price point is a huge jump, as just last year it cost $2.99. Now, for those of us who live in the Northeast, a Ski Cooper season pass could still make sense for a couple reasons. First, they mail the passes, so you don't have to go to Colorado to pick it up. So a savvy New Hampshire skier could order one, get 12 total days at Black Mountain, Dartmouth Skiway, McIntyre, Whaleback, and then, and only then, consider heading west for a winter ski vacation to hit Ski Cooper and other out west partner ski areas. Now at the former $2.99 price point, it's almost silly not to buy it for anyone who is within driving distance of a handful of ski areas. Like some of the headliners, the lesser visited I-70 ski areas in Colorado, Loveland, Sunlight, Powderhorn. How about Lake Tahoe's local favorite, Diamond Peak? Or Snow King in Wyoming, the little brother of nearby Jackson Hole. But at the 429 current price point, it's a bit much, especially considering the strong Indy Pass roster in the Northeast. And to wrap up our pass access, one last shoes through Northeast Lift Ticket Promotion Country with Lift Ticket Promotional Deals. All right, another lightning round. We kick things off with the Ski Main Pass for $565. You get 28 individual pass vouchers, which means two vouchers at each of the following 12 ski areas Big Rock, Big Moose Mountain, Black Mountain of Maine, Camden Snowbowl. Herman Mountain, Lost Valley, Mount Abram, Saddleback, Pleasant Mountain, Sugarloaf, Sunday River, and Tickcomb. Also, two vouchers at either Baker Mountain, Lonesome Pine Trails, or Quaggy Joe. And two vouchers at either Powderhouse Hill or Spruce Mountain. Now, all vouchers have no blackout dates and are transferable to any individual. Ski New Hampshire. Now stay tuned for their lift ticket promotions, many of which are really good and limited in supply, but they have announced their fourth and fifth grade passport program for just $59. Kids in fourth and fifth grade get access to 32 different ski areas. How about that? 
Ski Areas of New York. The Ski New York Gold Pass is a limited sale pass that entitles the holder to get one lift ticket per day at each member's ski area throughout the season. While it costs $1,499, it is fully transferable, meaning it can be shared with family, friends, even coworkers. So if you're not skiing that day, someone you share it with can use it that day instead. However, it can only be used once per day for one person. Finally, Ski Vermont. The Ski Vermont 4 Pass will be on sale later this fall. It went on sale on November 11, 2021 for $194. Again, that got you four passes at four different Vermont ski areas, so keep an eye on that. To summarize, there is no shortage of season pass deals and discounted lift tickets for Northeast skiers and riders. The offerings are pretty remarkable, with all regions covered in one way or another. Let's hope the same rings true for that skiable terrain, snowfall pun intended. Now it's time to get onto the mountain with new lifts, train expansions, and infrastructure improvements. Quick note, a lot of this information is directly from ski area websites, so forgive me for not saying quote end quote a couple dozen times. Also, thank you to Platykill, New York, Killington, Vermont, and Saddleback, Maine for being some of the surprisingly few ski area websites that actually have a what's new or news tab on their website. We begin in Connecticut, July 29, 2022 article headline, closed Connecticut ski area, Woodbury goes back up for sale. Sigh, the odds of reopening Woodbury for downhill skiing in a couple winters took a big hit. Part of the listing reads, 20 acres of amazing hillside, reopen a ski area, start a vineyard or brewery, the options are endless. The property consists of four lots of record totaling 20 acres. This grandfathered use allows for many different opportunities, including a beginner ski school, zip lines, tough mudder races, restaurant and bar, a wedding venue, and much more. Many permits have been renewed for the next buyer. But sorry, Peter Landsman, looks like your return to Connecticut is not imminent after all. In Massachusetts, Catamount in Hillsdale. Now, I have not seen an update from John Schaefer, who is great about providing ski area updates, but I remain hopeful construction on the Catamount Quad and Glades Triple is on schedule. Catamount was a bit of a cluster last season. In Rhode Island, Yagu Valley in Exeter. They just launched their January program, a multi-week group lesson program for children ages three through adult. And yes, I felt compelled to say something about each Northeast ski state, even though updates are few and far between at the lower latitudes. So we head north, Maine. We begin with Big Moose Mountain in Greenville. After more than a year of debate, state regulators have approved plans to rebuild and revitalize the ski area on Big Moose Mountain. The previous owner neglected the ski area, but in its circa 1960s heyday, it boasted a 1,700-foot vertical drop, the second largest in the state at the time. A decade ago, the Friends of the Mountain, a community nonprofit, began to take ownership of the area, raising money, acquiring acreage, and renovating the lodge, even launching a cat operation to access the Upper Mountain. All raised funds went to the Upper Mountain Trail Fund. It's certainly an interesting story, 
with hopefully a positive next chapter. The application calls for a new chairlift, ski lodge and hotel, as well as zip lines, a tap room and event center. Big Rock Mountain in Mars Hill. The nonprofit ski area got a huge boost by receiving a $2.5 million American Rescue Plan Act grant for a new chairlift and increased snowmaking capacity. Big Rock is one of the newest IndyPass partners. Speaking of IndyPass partners, Saddleback in Rangeley. A fixed grip quad named the Sandy Quad is expected to spin this season. The quad will be installed where the old Sandy used to be. It will follow the mountain right side of the Wheeler Slope Trail, opposite side of the rope toe. And in Sugarloaf, Carabasset Valley. Nothing new for this season, though a local planning board advances Sugarloaf's West Mountain expansion project. Clearing could begin soon. Now this is the main cog of Sugarloaf's 2030 plan, the West Mountain expansion featuring a new chairlift and significant trail development. The plan will expand the resort's beginner and intermediate terrain and alleviate traffic at the super quad. And in Sunday River, Newry, last but certainly not least in Maine, the Jordan 8, a brand new eight pack that will redefine the ski experience on Jordan Peak. The new lift, a Doppelminer D-Line, one of the most advanced lifts in the world. Extra wide, heated seats, the first in Maine. Red tint bubble, the only red bubble in the world. The fastest eight-person lift in North America. Apparently, it's whisper quiet. It can even rise six inches for kids. Quote-unquote, the coolest lift you've ever ridden, according to the ski area. In a bit of an inside baseball move, Dana Mullen, the president and CEO of Sunday River, revealed how repeated wind holds knocking out the current Jordan lift was the reason it leapfrogged the Barker for replacement. It will eventually serve an outpost called Western Reserve, including Oz, Jordan, and beyond, which may double the resort's size in the coming years. In New Hampshire, Aditash in Bartlett, a new Doppelmeyer fixed grip quad will replace the 1973 Borvig double chairlifts that did not operate last season. In Cranmore, North Conway, Cranmore's new Fairbank launch will not be finished in time for ski season. The ski area will raise a temporary structure instead. At Loon in Lincoln, the former Kankamangus Express Quad, replaced by the Kank 8 last season, spent the winter getting a complete remodel in preparation for the short journey east to replace Loon's only fixed-grip triple chairlift, becoming the Seven Brothers Express Quad. Waterville Valley, next level 2022, the largest project in New Hampshire is the installation of a new MND high-speed six-person bubble chair at Waterville Valley. Crews are currently unspooling the haul rope and building the storage barn. The new lift is called the White Peak 6. In Vermont, Killington, a new state-of-the-art K-1 lodge will open. Phase one of the construction is now complete, having taken place in front of the existing K-1 base lodge, on grade with the K-1 Express gondola. The old lodge was removed in late March. The phase two of the new building will be complete during the spring, summer, and fall of 2022. Now this past summer, the Northridge Triple, which opened for the 1972 season, was replaced with a new fixed grip quad chairlift, and the new quad has created a more comfortable and reliable experience for riders. 
A limited supply of Northridge triple chairs were actually available for sale, but have since sold out. And it wouldn't be Killington without Pico. Since 2019, snowmaking improvements have been steadily happening at Pico. The upgrades have doubled the snowmaking capacity, allowing Pico to get trails open earlier, keep conditions more consistent throughout the winter season, and recover faster after challenging weather events. So keep an eye out for better snow at Pico. Magic Mountain in Londonderry, the Black Line Quad. Fister's crew has made it to Tower 13 on the quad, which is the last tower that needed tower arm and shiv re-engineering work. That should be completed in a little over a week, so we can begin to spin that lift. Do I have to say any more? The Black Line Quad debut draws near. Mount Snow in Dover. A video update of tower installations of the two new lifts at Mount Snow went online. The Sundance 6 and Sunbrook Quad. The Sundance 6 is a high-speed six-pack replacing the Sundance and Tumbleweed lifts, both fixed-grip triples installed in 1984 and 1997. The new lift will increase uphill capacity by 70% and alleviate crowding in the main base area. The Sunbrook lift, initially installed in 1990, will also be upgraded to a high-speed quad the Sunbrook lift has long been a slow nine minute ride, leaving this area relatively uncrowded. The new lift ride will be just over four minutes and better shielded from the wind. This will also create an opportunity for Mount Snow to reinvent the Sunbrook Base Lodge. To Stow in Stow. <laughs> the Sunrise Chair, a six pack high speed lift, will replace the old fixed grip mountain triple and extending it to the Mansfield Base Lodge. This will double uphill capacity and eliminate that hike to the base of the lift. Access to lower level terrain will improve for beginner and intermediates, plus the lift will become more reliable on windy days. And then there is that whole other Stowe season pass. No, not a lift ticket, but a season parking pass. Sorry to say, but the season parking pass went on sale October 11th for $450 and apparently sold out in just 15 minutes. And remarkably, this season pass, again, for $450, does not guarantee a parking spot. Quote, the season parking pass satisfies the payment portion of the process, but resort parking is available on a first-come, first-served basis. The pass does not guarantee a parking spot at any time, end quote. So this is essentially how parking at a public beach works, say, in the summer. Pay for the day, week, or season, and you still have to get there early to get a space. Though, staying with that comparison, beach stickers, say in Chatham on Cape Cod, cost residents $50 and non-residents $175 for a season. Quite less than $450. Esto goes on to say parking will be free at all lots Monday through Thursday during non-holiday periods and after 2 p.m. every day. Paid parking will be implemented Friday through Sunday and on holidays at all lots, with the exception of the Cross Country Center and the Toll House area lots. Free parking will also be offered at all times in all lots to cars arriving with four or more guests. So pack them in, people. The rate for paid parking will be $30 per space per day. The fee will be paid through a smartphone app with advanced payment and license plate verification or through on-site kiosk for those without smartphones. 
Are there any skiers or riders without smartphones? There will be no in-person, on-lot transactions or gate checkpoints that slow down guest arrival. The system will help ensure faster, more efficient parking, especially at busy times. Net proceeds from paid parking will be reinvested to help further improve guest arrival and departure through increased shuttle and bus service and improvement to infrastructure, such as parking lots and bus stops. While they didn't get into enforcement in the press release, I hope they up the pay of parking attendants because, man, they're going to be dealing with a lot of pissed off people all day, every day, all season. Well, maybe not Monday through Thursday. Moving on to New York, Platykill in Roxbury. The lightning damaged North Face Express will be repaired before ski season. The process has begun repairing and rebuilding the North Face double after the lightning strike. Don't worry, she'll be up and running before the snow flies. Greek Peak in Cortland. Chair 3 replacement is officially underway. Also, a new pump house will be online this winter season, which means more snow. Additionally, a brand new family-style ski trail has been cut between Chair 4 and 5. You know how I like trail names. And if you're not familiar with that, you will surely find out how much in the trivia questions. But back to Greek Peak's new trail, the trail, nearly 2,000 feet long with 300 feet of vertical drop, will feature high berms, turns with rollers, and beginner glades on the side. The trail name will be announced live at Greek Peak's Hops and Swaps. What better combination than a beer fest and a ski swap? The trail, lookers left, is sandwiched between Electra, Upper Mars Hill, and Upper Poseidon. Finally, Kissing Bridge in Glenwood has updated their snowmaking capacity, grooming equipment, and terrain park features. All right, it's time for what you really came for. Opening dates. With opening dates on the horizon, crews at many resorts, particularly out west, have been testing snow guns and looking longingly to the skies in the hopes of putting down a base of snow in October. Some ski areas have announced their anticipated opening days Others even posted provocative images of snow-covered trails at summit elevation. Misleading or not, it brings a smile to my face. Back east, Killington has glued the first to open and last to close crown upon its head, so no news there. Out west, the informal race to be the first to open in the nation falls upon the highest elevation mountains along the spine of the Colorado Rockies. Traditionally, it's been Arapahoe Basin, Keystone and Loveland that vie for the title, but Wolf Creek shocked the world and snuck in last season by firing up its chairlifts on October 16th. This year, if official dates are to be believed, Keystone will lead the pack by opening on October 21st, followed by A Basin on October 22nd, and Loveland and Wolf Creek on October 29th. In California, Boreal on Donner Pass is looking at October 28th, while Mammoth plans to be in second place on November 11th. Back in Colorado, Breckenridge and Vail are also eyeing November 11th for opening date. Tahoe's Heavenly has penciled in November 18th for its first chairs. Despite having middle-of-the-pack summit elevation, Lookout Pass on the border of Idaho and Montana has pushed its first day all the way up to November 6th, a full two weeks ahead of its previous earliest opening, Schweitzer, Sun Valley, and Tamarack all plan to follow in late November. A pair of Utah mountains, Bryanhead, and Park City 
hope to be the first in the Beehive State with openings on November 18th. Skiers and riders in Washington will have to wait until December for Stevens Pass, December 2nd, and 49 degrees north, December 3rd, while folks in Oregon will have to bide their time until Mount Hood Meadows and Timberline open on December 11th. Mount Bachelor expects to follow close behind on December 12th. In New Mexico, Sipapu has had a lock on first to open in recent seasons. It's eyeing November 18th to spin some lifts. Now, for our purposes, in the East Region, the following opening dates have been published. Killington is expected to open first, but as of this recording, no opening date has been published. November 11th, Mount Snow in Vermont. November 18th, Gore in New York. Hunter in New York, Stowe, Vermont, and Wildcat in New Hampshire. November 19th, Okemo in Vermont, and Stratton in Vermont. November 23rd, Mount Sunapee in New Hampshire. December 2nd, Atitash in New Hampshire, Crotchet in New Hampshire. December 14th, Saskadena 6 in Vermont. And December 16th, Tenney Mountain in New Hampshire. Put a pin in that for a moment. And to put the icing on the good vibe cake, we end this segment with lost ski areas found? Yes, if Mother Nature cooperates and the ski community has our way, three Northeast ski areas will reopen this season. Remember that pin? Well, it's for New Hampshire. Tenney Mountain in Plymouth, about 40 miles northwest of Laconia. Quick ski area stats, vertical drop, 1,400 feet. Skiable acres, 110. Average annual snowfall, 141 inches. Lift fleet, three, a triple, a double, and a surface lift. Trails, 48. And a fun fact, in 2003, Tenney offered summer and fall skiing, thanks to the Snowmagic snowmaking system. The $1 million system, thought to be a runaway success, did not turn out that many people, and costs were high despite only covering a small slope. The following year, summer skiing was canceled and the system shipped to Alabama. At least for a season, Killington had a challenger in the last to close category. Fast forward to present day. After being idle since 2010, Tenney Mountain Development Group reopened the ski area in early 2018 on mostly natural snow. Though backcountry skiing has been permitted Tenney Mountain has not operated since the COVID-19 shutdown in 2020. Following a recent ownership change, Michael Bouchard, better known as Mike from Tenney, has resumed posting video updates to the area's Facebook page, such as showing crews remodeling the main lodge, riding the lift, and mowing the lower mountain. According to a recent Facebook posting, snowmaking equipment could be arriving on site soon. The ski area plans to operate both chairlifts this winter, possibly with snowmaking on the Eclipse Triple side. And again, according to On the Snow, opening date, December 16th. Staying in New Hampshire, Granite Gorge in Roxbury, outside of Keene, off Route 9. Quick mountain stats, vertical drop, 525 feet, skiable acres, 50, average annual snowfall, unknown, Lift fleet, one double chair, one surface lift, 19 trails. Fun fact, 
The train park at Granite Gorge includes the signature VW bus. Reopened in 2003 on the site of the former Pinnacle Ski Area, Granite Gorge operated a double chairlift with snowmaking and night skiing. Financial and equipment struggles resulted in operations being limited to surface lifts only in recent years. Granite Gorge hit the auction block on June 3rd with Granite Gorge Partnership acquiring the defunct ski area for $430,000. Following the winning bid, the local group of investors referenced a shared desire of returning winter and summer activities to the ski area in a safe and inclusive manner, and plans for lift repair, snowmaking, grooming, and various other facility upgrades with the goal of returning winter and summer operations as soon as reasonably possible. So far, chairs have been removed from the double chair and slope mowing is underway. Perhaps the literal best sign of the ski area's future? An actual sign on the side of Route 9 that states the area will reopen this winter. And moving west to Old Hickory in Warrensburg, New York. Quick ski area stats, vertical drop, 1,200 feet, skiable acres, 225, average annual snowfall, 75 inches. Lift fleet, four, only surface lifts. This is the place where you hear, hey man, let's meet up at the Summit Palma Lift. Trails, 19. And the fun fact from New York Ski Blog, the terrain at Hickory is something special. The trails are old school, untouched by construction equipment or blasting. Get it on a good powder day, and the tree skiing at Hickory is what really sucks people in. Hickory lives off only natural snow, which adds to that vintage ski experience. Sadly, the only update I could find on Old Hickory is from October 7th. The Three Sisters Cafe will be closed until October 15th due to a staff case of COVID. But as shared a few episodes ago, the bygone era ski area is embracing a two-tiered financial model in its reboot. First, if you want to access the upper mountain, i.e. the essence of the bygone era ski area, you have to purchase a season pass, i.e. a preservation license for the upper mountain. Or you can buy a day pass, but it's only for access to the lower mountain, mostly beginner terrain. Either way, I'm cheering for them. Now, I also spent some time last episode talking about the reopening of Kuchera in southwest Colorado. Bottom line, there should be more ski areas operating this winter season than last season, and that's great for everyone. Moving on to the trivia questions. Finally, Jeff, get to the good stuff. A dozen questions ranging in theme and format. I will read through all questions first, then go back through revealing the answers one by one. Let's go. Number one, the theme of which ski area stats. Format, multiple choice, select all that apply. Now the National Ski Areas Association recently updated their list of the number of ski areas operating per state during the past winter season. That would be 2021 to 2022. Surprising to some, but New York leads the pack with 52, followed by Michigan with 39 and Wisconsin with 33 lift serve ski areas. Perhaps even more surprising to some, Massachusetts, the Bay State, is ranked number 15 out of 38 states with 12 ski areas operating last season. So to the question, 
which ski states have less lift serve ski areas operating than the Bay State? Check all that apply. A, Alaska, B, Oregon, C, Washington, or D, Wyoming. Question number two, same theme, ski area stats. Same format, multiple choice. Of the 143 Northeast ski areas, what ski area has the largest vertical drop? A, Killington, Vermont. B, Smuggler's Notch, Vermont. C, Sugarloaf, Maine. Or D, Whiteface, New York. Question number three, same theme, same format. Of the 143 Northeast ski areas, what ski area has the most skiable terrain? A, Killington, Vermont. B, Sugarloaf, Maine. C, Smuggler's Notch, Vermont. Or D, Sunday River, Maine. Question number four, same theme, same format. Of the 143 Northeast ski areas, what ski area has the highest summit elevation? A, Cannon, New Hampshire. B, Killington, Vermont. C, Sugarloaf, Maine. Or D, Whiteface, New York. Question number five, new theme, seasonal fun. Specifically, Halloween. It's only a few days out. New format, matching. With Halloween approaching, match the scary trail name to the ski area. <laughs> Gray Ghost, Satan's Stairway, Slasher, Sleepy Hollow. Those are your four trail names to four ski areas in alphabetical order. Bolton Valley, Vermont, Saddleback, Maine, Ski Sundown, Connecticut, Sugarloaf, Maine. Question number six. Theme of which, Game of Thrones. And why not? House of the Dragon is wrapping up soon. Format, multiple choice, select all that apply. What Northeast ski areas have a trail name after a Game of Thrones location? Again, select all that apply. A, Holiday Valley in New York. B, Royal Mountain, New York. C, Sugarloaf, Maine. Or D, Wyndham, New York. Shifting to fall sports. Question number seven, multiple choice. Specifically, the theme, baseball. What New Hampshire ski area trail shares a name with a major league baseball team that made the 2022 postseason? A, Dodgers, B, Guardians, C, Padres, or D, Yankees? Question number eight, multiple choice. Specifically, college football. What top 10 ranked college football team's mascot is also a trail name at at least three ski areas in Alaska? A, Buckeye, B, Bulldog, C, Crimson, or D, Wolverine? Question number nine, multiple choice, the theme of which, hockey. The NHL season debuted last weekend. The defending champions, the Avalanche, is also a trail name at what New Hampshire ski area? A, Bretton Woods, B, Cannon, C, Ragged, or D, Wildcat. Question number 10, multiple choice. The theme of which, basketball. The NBA season is set to debut. 
in just about a week. The defending champion Warriors are also a trail name at what Massachusetts ski area? A, Berkshire East, B, Catamount, C, Jiminy Peak, or D, Neshoba Valley? Question number 11, the theme of which is soccer. The format of which is guess that ski area or ski areas. Name as many Northeast ski areas that have a trail named World Cup. After all, the World Cup is going to dominate the news in just a few short weeks. And finally, question number 12, the theme of which football, multiple choice. The rematch of arguably the greatest playoff game in the history of the NFL is this weekend. That game, Chiefs vs. Bills, where both quarterbacks threw for three touchdowns, no interceptions, and ran for at least 50 yards. There was also four lead changes and 25 points scored in the final two minutes of regulation, the second most among games in the Super Bowl era. As for the question, there are three Northeast ski areas that have a trail named Chief. Which one does not? A, Berkshire East, Massachusetts. B, Neshoba Valley, Massachusetts. C, Okemo in Vermont. Or D, Sugarbush in Vermont. Pencils down. We go back to the top. For the answers, question number one. What ski state had less lift serve ski areas operating than the base state check all that apply a alaska b oregon c washington d wyoming the answer there's three answers a alaska b oregon d wyoming yes only washington state had more operating ski areas than massachusetts with 15 to massachusetts 12. Oregon was right behind him with 11, and then Alaska and Wyoming both had 10. Question number two. Of the 143 Northeast ski areas, what ski area has the largest vertical drop? A, Killington, Vermont. B, Smuggler's Notch, Vermont. C, Sugarloaf, Maine. Or D, Whiteface, New York. The answer, it's D, Whiteface, New York. 3,430 feet. Now that puts them number 16 in North America and top 10, number 10 in the United States. The other answers are all top four in the East. Question number three. Of the 143 Northeast ski areas, what ski area has the most skiable terrain? A, Killington, Vermont. B, Sugarloaf, Maine. C, Smuggler's Notch, Vermont. Or D, Sunday River, Maine? The answer, yeah, it's A, it's Killington. <laughs> 1,509 acres. No surprise there, though Sugarloaf and Sunday River should overtake Killington if their 2030 plans are realized. Question number four. Of the 143 Northeast ski areas, last time I'm gonna list that stat, what ski area has the highest summit elevation? A, Cannon, New Hampshire. B, Killington, Vermont. C, Sugarloaf, Maine. Or D, Whiteface, New York. The answer, D, it's Whiteface again. 
4,650 feet summit elevation. Beat out Killington with 4,241 feet, followed by Sugarloaf and Cannon. Question number five, new theme, seasonal fun. The matching question. Halloween is approaching, match the scary trail name to the ski area. So we had Grey Ghost, Satan Stairway, Slasher, Sleepy Hollow, those are your four trails, with the four ski areas of Bolton Valley, Vermont, Saddleback, Maine, Ski Sundown, Connecticut, Sugarloaf, Maine. Your matches, Grey Ghost, Saddleback, Maine, Satan Stairway, Ski Sundown, Connecticut, Slasher, Sugarloaf, Maine, and Sleepy Hollow, Bolton Valley, Vermont. Question number six, still with me? What Northeast ski areas have a trail named after a Game of Thrones location? Select all that apply. A, Holiday Valley, New York. B, Royal Mountain, New York. C, Sugarloaf, Maine. Or D, Wyndham, New York. The answers, three apply. You got A, Holiday Valley with The Wall. You got C, Sugarloaf, Maine with King's Landing. And D, Wyndham, New York, also The Wall. And yes, ironically, Royal Mountain in New York with a medieval trail name theme does not have a Game of Thrones location as a trail. And sure, The Wall Trail is probably referring to the Head Wall and not the Night's Watch. Question number seven, fall sports theme. What New Hampshire ski area trail shares a name with a Major League Baseball team that made the 2022 postseason, and actually the division series. A, Dodgers, B, Guardians, C, Padres, or D, Yankees? The answer, it's D, Yankees. Now I did take a little bit of liberty with this one, I'll be honest, the trail is actually called the Flying Yankee, and it's at Ragged Mountain, and of course, the team, New York Yankees. Question number eight, the theme of which, college football. What top 10 ranked college football team's mascot is also a trail name at at least three ski areas in Alaska? A, Buckeye, B, Bulldog, C, Crimson, or D, Wolverine? The answer, of course it's D, Wolverine. Yeah, it's like the native species. But uh, <laughs> Eagle Crest, Alaska, Wolverine is a black diamond in the middle of the mountain. Mount Eak in Alaska, Wolverine is a blue square, skiers left. And at Moose Mountain in Alaska, Wolverine is a black diamond off Moose Walk. Also, Wyndham in New York has a double black diamond called Upper Wolverine and a blue square called Lower Wolverine. And actually, that list reflects the top four ranked college football teams. <laughs> Question number nine, the theme of which is hockey. The NHL season debuted last weekend. The defending champions, the Avalanche, also a trail name at what New Hampshire ski area? A, Bretton Woods, B, Cannon, C, Ragged, or D, Wildcat? The answer, B, Cannon. It's a black diamond, skiers right, tram side. Avalanche is also a trail at Sugar Bowl in California, China Peak, California, and Terry Peak in South Dakota. Question number 10. 
The theme of which basketball, the NBA season, is set to debut. The defending champion Warriors are also a trail name at what Massachusetts ski area? A. Berkshire East. B. Catamount. C. Jiminy Peak. Or D. Neshoba Valley. The answer? D. Neshoba Valley. Yes. Warrior. <laughs> Again, little liberty. Is a black diamond. Skiers right under the chief lift. Question number 11. Soccer. Guess that ski area. Or ski areas. Name as many northeast ski areas that have a trail named World Cup. Now, I'll be honest, I could only come up with two, Okemo in Vermont and Wyndham in New York. Surely there are others. And admittedly, this is the last question I thought of when seeing an advertisement for the World Cup. So just kind of plugged it in there. And finally, question number 12, the rematch of the greatest playoff game in NFL history. Three Northeast ski areas have a trail named Chief. Which one does not? A, Berkshire East, Massachusetts. B, Neshoba Valley, Massachusetts. C, Okemo, Vermont. Or D, Sugarbush, Vermont. The answer? D, Sugarbush in Vermont. As for a trail named after the Buffalo Bills, I was only able to find one at Heavenly in California. The trail, Bills, looks to be a gnarly shoot beyond the gate control access below Milky Way Bowl. That's it. Thanks for playing. And start making those ski trip plans, powder hounds. Looks like it's four o'clock. Time to catch the last chair. Thank you for listening. Have a question, comment, or correction? Email me at powderhoundskitrivia at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Powderhounds Skis. Better yet, subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast Manager, Verbal, Spotify, and Stitcher. Just type Powderhounds Podcast. Until next time, see you on the slopes, Powderhounds.